Welcome back to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. Thank you so much for listening once again. Uh, in this episode, we're about to get real. Uh, one of Dick's greatest stories uh, from 1953, The Trouble with Bubbles. It's got a silly name, I suppose, but it's a really important one. and has a lot of great themes uh, that I think are still relevant for us today. In fact, this is one of the more prescient stories he, he wrote in this era. It was originally published in Imagination, uh, another one of these magazines that he published and a few other stories of his were published in Imagination. Uh, this one in September 1953. Other ones published in this magazine were Cosmic Poachers, uh, Project Earth, which we didn't get to talk about yet, The Hoodmakers, which we didn't talk about yet, The Impossible Planet, which will come up shortly. So he sold a bunch of stories in 1953 and 54 to uh, this uh, magazine. Uh, you can currently find it in the second volume of Philip K. Dick's Collected Works, Collected Stories, the We Can Remember It For You Wholesale uh, volume. Anyways, let's go in right into the, the plot summary. Um, so this is a story about people who create worlds. Uh, imagine Minecraft, but imagine people can create whole kind of universes or worlds, and they can put them kind of really literally in glass bulbs, almost like the snow globes that people sometimes have on their desks as paperweights. So one of our characters, Nathan Hall, he passes the Worldcraft stone. That's what they're called, Worldcraft. Um, he passes a Worldcraft store on his way to a contest party. And these are commonly held. They're like people where, where, where these Worldcraft bubble entries are judged. People create worlds in these um, bubbles and they're judged at these so-called contest parties. Um, Hall doesn't take part in these contests, however. Uh, the winner at this one is declared to be Laura Becker, a middle-aged woman. And she displays her bubble for the participants of the party. It's very impressive but as one of the observers notes, when you've been at this for 60 years, you get quite good at creating a microscopic planet, their inhabitants. So that's what people are doing there. And they've been doing this for a long time. This is a main recreational event for these people as they create whole planets and things and even the people and the civilizations on these through some kind of technology. So but after displaying her winning, winning entry, Laura smashes her bubble. And the other members of their party destroy their own bubbles. And this is common during these contest parties. So they're, they're destroyed. It's almost like if people created huge aquariums with lots of fish. And then they judge which was the best. And when they've picked the best, they smash them all. But instead of fish in aquariums, these are whole universes or whole worlds. So Hall is having coffee with... Julia Barlow, uh, Marlowe in Bart Longstreet, another character. Um, now we get the bit of the story, the history here. Um, um, the, the company Pac-Man, or is it a man? I think, whatever. But Worldcraft bubbles started to be sold about a century ago, a century earlier, with the slogan, own your own world. Um, they examine the bubble that Longstreet brought, which creates a world built in the Jurassic period. It's not advanced enough to be a real competitor, but it's something he enjoyed doing. The popularity of the Worldcraft bubbles uh, began after space exploration started. And what they found out when they explored the universe was something very sad, and that is most of the solar system was barren and dead. 
And without the possibility of finding new life or new planets that people could live on, people took up this hobby of building their own worlds. Worlds that were vibrant with life, with creatures, let their imaginations flow. The bubble solved people's need for creativity at a time when robots were doing most of the work. So we got another issue example of post-scarcity alleviation of work and how that affected human cultures. It also alleviated people's depression because people felt depressed that they didn't really have work anymore, but also they didn't feel they felt depressed that they couldn't go to space anymore. The bubbles contain worlds that exist at a subatomic level. By manipulating the conditions of these worlds, including creating catastrophic events, the crafters could guide the evolutions of these worlds. So basically they're God. More strange, however, is the, is the near universal desire to destroy these worlds and start again. So they create these universes, play with them, manipulate them, shape their development, and then break them. Hull explains this as humanity's inherently violent tendency. Right Now, if you read the Old Testament, which I suppose most of you have read at least once in your life, God has this tendency to want to destroy what he creates, right? You have the flood, you have the promise of another kind of end of the world event in, in Revelation. Hull fears that the world craft fed is stifling human development as well. If the other planets of the solar system are dead, we should seek out other worlds outside the solar system. And ding, 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 here's the frontier again and the, the need for a frontier as a real outlet for human potential. Hall announces to his friends that he's going to force the issue by making world craft bubbles illegal on moral grounds. And he just kind of throws it out that that's what he's going to do, leaving it kind of ambiguous about what his intention really is. So we jump to the director at Hall. And here Hall speaks in favor of his bill, which would ban world crafting. He argues to the directorate that Worldcraft Industries is a public menace but because it allows the creation of millions of new worlds. And each of those millions of new worlds having millions of new individuals only to see these worlds destroyed in a final moment of violence. The Worldcraft bubbles contain real people and real civilizations, and their owners of the bubbles are given complete autonomy and freedom over them. Basically, they have the power of gods. After his speech, both Bart Longstreet and the founder of Worldcraft Industries, the man named Pac-Man, lecture Hall on his naivete in using moral arguments to stop worldcrafting. Hall's motion is overwhelmingly defeated on the floor. News reports confirm that humans have made contact with people from other civilizations during visits to the Proxima system. This proves that there's plenty of life in the galaxy and plenty of room to explore new worlds without creating artificial ones in bubbles. With this news, Worldcraft stock begins to crash, and meanwhile, a massive earthquake destroys the newly unveiled tube connecting North America and with Asia, killing thousands. So if we take this just as the alternate reality, kind of story that's common in Philip Dick narratives, we get kind of the, I guess, the Twilight Zone ending, where we're actually in a Worldcraft bubble and someone else is just manipulating us, destroying us, and, and we're just as bad as those people, right? Um, you could just, you could look at this as kind of a religious allegory, because this is kind of a biblical story. All these bubbles have the end of the world written into them, because the people who create them want to destroy them. But I'm going to go a slightly different way about them. Okay, so I think The Trouble with Bubbles is a very thematically rich story, one of the richest published in 1953. 
comparable with the variable man and just how much there is to talk about it. Uh, I'll try to keep this pretty condensed though, uh, as to avoid repeating myself too much uh, on themes I talk about on other podcasts. Now, the twist ending suggests that this entire civilization is controlled by destructive malevolent forces, just like the worlds and all the bubbles, the millions of bubbles, right? Every human being becomes a malevolent world destroyer, uh, an evil god, if you will. If simulated realities are possible, then the simulated realities will vastly outnumber the real world. world. I mean, this is the old, I guess, no, maybe not too old, but the, the classic argument that we live in a simulation, right? That you know, if our world is capable of creating like a million simulations someday, right, through computers or, or other kinds of technology, then each world would create millions of, uh, that got to that technological level would create millions of, of simulations. And therefore, it's more likely that we are in simulation than in a real world. So that's going on here. Um, then the... Now, we also find here Dick struggling with the problem of evil. Uh, the Trouble with Bubbles fits well with two other stories published in the same year that take on the question of the problem of evil. That is, the world she wanted. And here it's explained that each individual is being given their best possible world, which they can live in and dwell in and manipulate through their own kind of magic. Now, natural evil in these worlds will always be directly directed towards other people, not the owner of the world, right? The owner of the world couldn't be killed. Right? So there's kind of a solipsism in that story. In Project Earth, natural evil is explained in a more Old Testament terms as a reflection of human disobedience against their creator. Now in The Trouble with Bubbles, the answer is that the creators of our world are the equivalent of bored teenagers with malevolent tendencies, experimenting on us to promote simulated evolution or just for their own personal catharsis. Quote, the inhabitants are, at present, subject to the slightest whim their owners may feel. If we wish to reach down and crush their world, turn on tidal waves, earthquakes, tornadoes, fire, volcanic actions, if we wish to destroy them utterly, there's nothing they can do. End quote. It is a fascinating moral thought experiment that may have ramifications for the future when we are creating simulations with maybe intelligent AIs or whatever. Uh, do we have the right to kill such, such creatures? Now, Dick believed that humanity needed a frontier to stay vibrant and creative. And in this story, the realization that the solar system provided no hope for humans, humanity's future lead to universal despair and, and ennui. Development is no longer possible on Earth. Robots have taken over the important jobs. People have too much leisure time. And there is no longer any great project at hand. The Worldcraft bubbles become in a very effective way of dealing with the banalities of everyday life. It promised from everyone, from childhoods to adults, that they could become gods and they could create endlessly. In truth, these type of simulators have been popular for a long time. You, you know, board games, but even more importantly, tabletop role-playing games in which people collectively create adventures and worlds. You have older games like SimCity, more modern ones like Minecraft, and even World of Warcraft, which has a very similar name to the Worldcraft um, bubbles, you know, where although, yeah, you're kind of given a world there, but how you explore, it's up to you. It may, well, we, we're able to create all these simulated realities through games now, and it's a very popular form of gaming, right? If you remember, I remember like old Nintendo games where you kind of went through a pre-made world and jumped and 
you know, over pits that were there created by some monster and there was a boss you had to fight at the end. These games, I think they still exist, but they're much less popular now than than games that allow you to either explore a world or, or build a world or make a world. The best example of this is, of course, Minecraft. And it's amazing what people out there are doing with Minecraft and other kind of simulation games. Now, it may be possible that we can create much more sophisticated simulations one day, even populated with artificial intelligences, right? And I'll leave it to you to guess whether we are in one of those such places or, or, or this is the real world. But for me, there's a deeper importance to the story, and that is this desire of creativity and this drive for it. Dick presents it here as coming out of kind of this frustration with this banality of existence, this lack of a frontier, this lack of any great human project. So people do these kind of petty things. But these things apparently are quite sophisticated and detailed and they're acts of creativity. And we don't, you know, if we had a whole novel, maybe we could get pictures of what these worlds are like. We don't really get that. But the suggestion is that you could have some set in different time periods. Some could be completely non-human entities created. So there's all this immense creativity potential. And I think there's hope here in that, yeah, robots are going to take our jobs someday, right? And then what are we going to do? That, whenever I talked about the robots, every, most people I talk to are afraid of this. And they say, well, what can we do? You know, what's my job going to be? Well, it's sad. First, In the first place, it's sad that people see their role in the world only through their job or what they get paid to do. But beyond that, beyond that, I think people given freedom from drudgery, the workplace, will actually pursue creative endeavors. Um, I guess my very cheap and maybe not that effective proof of this, but I'll, I'll throw it out there anyways, is that every job that is done that becomes drudgery you know, whether it's bookkeeping or gardening or making furniture, farming, I mean, not gardening, farming or making furniture. These things are done in craft ways, in ways that people enjoy. Some people enjoy, you know, watching stocks and keeping track of stocks and imagining they have accounts. Some people like gardening. Some people enjoy making furniture. Some people like making and painting miniatures. These are all things that are labor in other contexts, but are pleasure to people. And I think the trouble with bubbles is a story that allows us to imagine the, the necessity of creativity for human prosperity. So that's it for this episode. I'm going to cut it short because of the, uh, the construction that you can hear behind me. Hopefully next time I record, I'll have pick a better day when they're not doing that. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Yeah. Why?